Howdy, welcome back to another week of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week, I had the pleasure to sit down with Joseph Granda. Joseph has been an actor for decades, has written several screenplays, and has directed several movies. We even fit in one anecdote from his time with Philip Seymour Hoffman. So enjoy that. The book that I wanted to mention that I highly recommend on this week's episode was Douglas Wilson's Wordsmithy. It's a book for writers and of humans of every sort, whether experienced veterans or still just hoping, or somewhere in between. It exhorts writers to explore the world, to read incessantly, and to love mechanical helps, and to be fine with being lousy just for a little while, to learn languages, and to keep a commonplace book. Through a series of out-of-the-ordinary lessons, each with its own takeaway points and recommended readings, Douglas Wilson provides indispensable guidance showing how to develop the writer's craft, and most importantly, the kind of life from which good writing comes. Pick that up at canonpress.com, and without further ado, meet Joseph Granda. All right, now welcoming on special guest, Joseph Granda. That's right. That's me. That's what they're calling me these days. That's right. And and Joseph is an actor. He's a director. He's a writer, producer. Am I missing anything? Just a follower of Jesus. There we go. You know, that's what got, got me all back into all those other things. Joseph has come to Moscow for work, for secret work. Hopefully we get to talk about in, in the future. And I wanted to take the opportunity to take your time, mm-hmm. which you've been generous with. And uh, and do an interview. So thank you. Thanks for yeah, coming on. Uh, my pleasure. So do us a favor. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? And I kind of want to dig into how you even how you got to this here. How I got to Moscow. Yep. So at least just give us a an elevator pitch of Joseph Granda. Granda. Elevator pitch. Immediately, just want to pitch you a movie idea. There's <laughs> a guy doing a podcast. He's, right. He's. It looks like an elevator. The podcast room. But well, you know I. Out of high school, I went to college. I was there for five weeks, and I wanted to study fine art, and I couldn't get into the art class I wanted. Fine art as in you fine art to paint. in painting, and, okay. I, and I do paint, and I do all those artsy things, and I couldn't get into the class that I wanted, so they said, well, you need to fill your curriculum to get on, you know, and so they, so I, I, I just took an acting class. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take the acting class, those kids that we used to pick on in high school. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> the drama. And, you know, I took this class, and- it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like unmistakably, it was one of those moments in my life. And I know this sounds like Wizard of Oz stuff, but like, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, hindsight, you know, that I'm 55 years old now and I was, you know, 20 then, 19. I made the right choice because when you're, you get those ideas a lot when you're young, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I ended up doing the lead in the play there. And I thought, you know what? Well, where, where do you go to learn this? Really? Where do you go if you're going to make this a career? And for me, it was New York. Okay. So I moved to New York, worked in restaurants, studied with um, a very famous acting teacher named Sanford Miser, and then I studied with William Alderson, and um, I started getting work. I started getting work off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway, and then I did some work on Broadway, and then um, I got the lead in a film um, called Amongst Friends in uh, 1993. That came out. It won a bunch of awards. It was a big hit at Sundance, and to make hay while the sun is shining, I, I moved to Los Angeles. Yep. And, you know, I started working along with working in production, working as a, 
an assistant to some directors, which is what I suggest to young people if they, they want to learn film, read scripts, watch movies, and go get a job, whatever job you can, on a movie set. Even if it's just pouring coffee, running errands, because it's all about building relationships. Right. And then you kind of find out, well, where do, am I interested in the camera department? Am I interested in light? Because those people will nurture you along. At least that was my experience. And um, so, you know, I worked. I, I, I did a bunch of movies and TV shows. Uh, was a regular on some of them. And I got to the point in my career where I would get offered work, which means I didn't have to go in and, and audition. It was sort of like pre-approved. I was like nice. pre-stamp, like nice. we know it's work or somebody in the, in the production has a relationship with, with this actor. And um, so, you know, it got to the point where, and Hollywood is a really weird place. I think I told you this the other day. It's the only place that someone can break your heart and then you're forced to drive past a billboard with their face on it <laughs> for the next three months. Yeah. It's just, it's a very strange place. It's a place where people go to reinvent themselves. And if you're going someplace to reinvent yourself, that means that there's something wrong with you and the place isn't going to change it. And in fact, my experience, both with myself and, and other people, is that if you're moving to Los Angeles because you want to express yourself as an artist, okay, great. But if it's also to get away from a place because you think that's going to change you, what Hollywood does is it just puts steroids in whatever's wrong with you. Yep. And enhances that. And oftentimes, that's very interesting to watch on camera. <laughs> Hence, people like Christopher Walken or, sure. you know. Now, what were the years? So, when you said you moved to LA to make in Hay While the Sun Shines, what, what year was that? I moved there in uh, just post-riots. Okay. The LA riots. The LA riots. Wow. And, and then right during the OJ Simpson thing, which is, a, for me, I believe, a cultural milestone, the OJ Simpson thing, because that was the moment for me, I believe, that entertainment and news yeah. blended together as one because Entertainment Tonight was covering this double homicide every night and sensationalizing it. Yeah. That's the news that we consume now. It's all this sort of narrative entertainment sort of process. So you were in LA, you know, when, when all the TVs had just a Ford Bronco, just- Right. I was in LA when OJ okay. Simpson didn't kill his wife and that, right. and that waiter. Right. He, he wrote a book about how he didn't, how he didn't. He's on it. Twitter, I think. <laughs> he is. He's on Twitter. <laughs> Only in this world. Okay. Him and Beretta now playing golf. Okay. So about that time. And you, I, I wanted to ask a few questions. I was, mm -hmm. we talked last night a little bit about, you did a lot of theater stuff in New York before getting amongst friends. And I mean, that was just a few years before then the LA riots. What, what was that like? What was New York like, did you see the theater as something you wanted to do or you saw it as like, I'm heading out soon. I'll do it till I get work. Yeah. You know, I think there's, there's two kinds of actors in my experience. There's ones that really want to understand and learn the craft. Because let me tell you something, to act and to do it really well is incredibly difficult and for lack of better description, painful to the psyche. Okay. Interesting. You know, I mean, personalities and politics set aside, people like Sean Penn mm -hmm. are phenomenal actors in which I also believe leads to some of their social distortion of themselves and lives because you're torturing your psyche to get to these certain places. Right. So, you know, and then there's people who just want to be famous, which yeah. I don't wish fame on anybody. You know, I'll tell you why. A close friend of mine was Philip Seymour Hoffman and he and I uh, briefly were roommates both in New York and LA. Okay. An incredibly talented and lovely and jo jovial and jolly guy with a troubled soul. Uh, you know, actually he and I, we both um, got sober together 
in okay. the, in the Hollywood AA world. And you know, he got rich, he got famous, and he became a person who felt he was invincible and he's dead now. You know, right from drugs and alcohol. Also. But to get back to this uh, elevator pitch, which it, it's you know it's a long elevator right now. <laughs> so I started getting offers of work, and one day this is pre smartphone. Right. I had a pager. Okay. And um, so I get a page. I go in to see my agent. and she You get says, a page, you went into your car phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went into the pay phone, put money in it. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I tell my kid, I'm like, yeah, you just have to put quarters in. She's like, really? And so she says, so you've got an offer. It's a big movie. And I said, what's the part? And she says, it's based on a true story. Uh, which doesn't mean anything. It's just a launching pad for, you know, something horrible that happened in the world. Basically, that front card on right. the movie, Basically, based on a yeah, true story. It's a, it's a marketing thing. I mean, it usually is, but it's it's marketing. And she says, it's to play the campus rapist. And I said, okay, well, what's it pay? Was my first answer, question, right? You know? That's tough. Yeah, That's this tough. is, you know, this is also pre any sort of Christian path. And she told me what the quote was. And, you know, it was good money. And she, and it was with, you know, movie star name people and and I thought about it for a moment and I had like this sort of first moment of moral clarity living in Los Angeles. And I said, you know, I'm not so sure I want to do that. And without, without a thought, she said, but it'll be good for your career, which I understood what she was saying. It would have been good for my career because everything is a ladder upwards. Sure. And um, I ultimately didn't want to do it. You know, you, you, you do a movie like that. And again, going back to like acting is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Right. So if I were hired to play that rapist, I have to conjure up, if you will, the kind of malice in a human to present that onto the screen, which it would not be fun to do. Because if you're committed to the craft of acting, it's living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Now, mind you, nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets assaulted. Right. But to build a character like that, I also have to explore his morality. Yeah. Because somewhere in there, he has a dog that he loves. Right. He's a got mom. A, he's a mom that he adores. He's got nephews that he buys gifts for, you know, and then he does these horrible things, you know, and it wasn't Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's better looking than me. Yeah, wow. Right. You know, perfect. For uh, the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they dropped me, that agency dropped me. Okay. Cause you turned down work. I turned down work. I turned down work that would have made them some money, but but immediately taking that job, they could have said, this person is go about to do this. Don't you want him for this too? And yes, this, you know, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, so yeah, that's a good, so even then you were saying this is before you're not a Christian at this point, but you could see, that was my first question is I wonder, you know, is this something where you saw, am I going to be doing these kind of roles for the rest of my life? So I don't want that role. Or was it, you were actually struggling then with what is the morality of acting are there limits? You know, I think it was struggling with, well, first off, what I was saying too is like, so you go and you do this, this movie comes out and you go grocery shopping in, in Hollywood and people go, oh, I saw you on that. I saw, I watched that movie. I saw you, you know, you were, you were great or you were, you know, whatever. And then your, your mom watches it, you know, and you go, mom, don't watch it. No, oh, I know it's just a movie, you know? And so, so I didn't do it. I went and got another agency. I did one more movie, a movie called Caught Up, where I, I think I told you last night it was the only, I was the only white person in it okay which i was um i was racially profiled on this movie <laughs> i was gonna say well it sounds like black panther i feel like you were just the uh the yeah no guy. it was a 
an independent movie that, you know, it went to theaters and stuff. But, and then I just, it just didn't fit me anymore. I was also started writing. I had sold a couple scripts. I had one optioned and was sort of into that, but I just was so uncomfortable there. And also shocking. I'm not a liberal, you know, I get nothing wrong. You weren't back then either. I wasn't back then. You know, I considered myself a libertarian. That's sort of like a way of getting around. So like back then you would have, you were essentially like, you had the political compass of somebody like Joe Rogan, who just is largely right up the middle, not actually yeah. political unless it was forced upon him. Joe Rogan thinks he's right down the middle. It comes out of his mouth that way. Correct. But that's, he tells you where he sits, but he doesn't tell you where he stands. But I do think it's interesting. I do think some of like the success is like it does, he does make up a large center-ish. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you were to actually pull out his policy, it would be left of center for sure. But right. he exists in a place where it's like, I'm not actually a very actively political person. No. Unless it comes to me personally. Right. Unless he's on acid that day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So you were occupying that that sort of role where largely non-political, not yeah, necessarily I mean, I just, like a shrill- I, I just didn't get into it. Yeah. Like, I heard all kinds of- Right. I had, I was, I was much younger. It was like, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't really, I didn't really care much for the whole- but it's very prevalent. It's more prevalent now. It's very much a sort of a, a church kind of religious Sort thing. of like a nostalgic, this is a nostalgic position you're talking about. I don't know any, you know, I don't think the world would allow you to occupy such a place of indifference. No, I mean, I used to go to these meetings in the Valley called Friends of Abe. Friends of Abe. Which was a sort of like, um, it was like this closed door secret meeting for people who weren't liberals, who were like oh, okay. libertarian, conservative, you know, right of center. Okay. And they would just go and have lunch and talk about politics. Interesting. And it's kind of secret. That went on for quite a while. Just for a headline for the podcast, anybody you want to out? Oh, I mean, I, I met James Woods there. I met uh, John Voigt there. Uh, Kelsey Grammer used to go there. And that's not outing them. They're sort of out in the open. You <laughs> I was know. kidding. So, but yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you were somewhat politically interested. I mean, you felt like- Well, it's a good networking place too. That's you know, there. That is. and AA. AA is a really is. good place to meet. I bet it was. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, I mean, you found Philip Seymour Hoffman, which credit to me, I took that in stride that you were a roommate with. Yeah. I mean, he's just, I mean, when Phil, in, in New York- Credit to me. We were just- That was a professional interviewing that I didn't stop the interview right there and start asking questions about Phil's- well, it's funny. Um, Habits. I'll tell you one funny story about Phil. After he won the uh, Oscar for, for Truman, okay, I called him and left a message. He was difficult to get a hold of. He got really weird when he would work, especially stage. He wouldn't speak to anybody. And I get it. So I left a message. I said, listen, I don't care how many trophies they give you. You will always be the guy sitting on the couch, wiping buffalo wing sauce on your shirt, watching college football to me. Yeah. And I just hung up. Who was his team? I don't remember. I don't okay. remember. But he was a big sport. He was a big basketball guy. Okay. Now, so in terms of this, where you were, you were not politically active necessarily, but as you were telling me, you ended up writing for Andrew Breitbart. Is yeah. that true? So how that happened was I wrote a novel that I couldn't get published because it was about, well, I'll just tell you what it was about. It was about an actor who is in the closet. He's a closet conservative and he fancies himself a sort of Shakespearean actor and he's kind of mediocre at best. And his agent sends him on one last audition before she cuts him loose. Okay. And the audition is for a retelling of Kafka's Metamorphosis. Okay. 
This is really right on the nose, I feel like, for young writers. Right. And so, yeah. and so, but in this, in this retelling of Kafka's Metamorphosis, which is going to be an independent film, the main character is a Wall Street broker who doesn't wake up one morning as a bug, like in the novel, yep. but he wakes up as a piece of human feces because of his guilt and shame of his greed. Okay. And he literally has to go through life. A little on the nose as a piece of human feces. Right. And so uh, this actor gets this job and he fancies himself this sort of method actor and he just throws himself into it. I mean, you know, he also gets fitted for prosthetic. So he looks like something similar to, uh, you know, Toxic Avenger. I don't know if you ever know any of those movies, but you can Google Toxic Avenger movies. They're super- Should people? Super B. What side of the internet? They're very famous B movies. Okay. The Toxic Avenger. It's a guy who falls into a septic tank and he becomes this sort of greenish monster superhero. They're great B movies. And, and so this, this actor gets this job and it's, he feels like it's his last shot. And so he throws himself into this- It might this, be. It he, might be. Yeah, right. So it's, so, but the irony of it is, is that he gets nominated for an Oscar for playing a piece of feces and is brought out to Hollywood. And just as he's about to sign to play Captain America- in a summer blockbuster, he gets outed as a conservative and the town tries to ruin him. They give the part to Chris Evans. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, this is, I mean, it takes place. This, not, this didn't get published? I self-published it. Okay. Yeah. It's called Life to the Right of Hollywood. And so. That's a bananas book. It's totally, it's totally bananas. And uh, yeah, so it's this whole, it's this whole sort of like his life. And this is how Breitbart found you? So how Breitbart found me is, Bright, Andrew had a friend named Mark Ebner who I knew and they had written a book about Hollywood together and he said hey my friend Andrew is going to launch this website and you should talk to him about your book and he's looking for writers and at the time it was called Big Hollywood and so he hooked me up with Andrew I went and met Andrew and Andrew was just he, Andrew Breitbart was the definition of happy warrior you know he would go on anybody's show and he would never let he, um, he was kind of the definition of of something that I try to do and have um, a thick skin and a soft heart, which is really difficult sometimes. And he said, Hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help get this book out there. I said, well, I'm going to have to self-publish it because it just gets turned. First off, you work in the publishing world. You know how difficult it is to get published. Right. You know, the most vicious pub part of publishing though is the children's book world. Um, I could tell you that story sometime, but so. I hesitate to ask now that I know that <laughs> lots of these movies are <laughs> so, books. So this novel, um, yeah. So I self-published it. And whenever he would guest host on radio shows, he would bring me on to promote it. And, um, you know, off it went. And, and, I, and I wrote there for, for quite some time. I, I mean, I, I was, never, was never really a paid staff person because it was sort of this grassroots thing they were trying. It was when Ben Shapiro was pouring coffee for him. I was going to say, did you, get, did you get coffee from Ben at some point? No, because I was living in Colorado at the time. Okay. But when Andrew came out to give speeches, he, he'd stay with me and stuff. But great guy. So that was how I got in, in, into to writing for Breitbart. And I stayed there for a while and things just kind of changed. The focus of it changed. My faith changed. And while at Breitbart? Yeah. You know, I was still writing for them as I, as I sort of was coming into uh, Finding Christ. And, you know, it's much more of a news organization now, but originally it was just fighting back at the culture. Okay. And I was uncomfortable with that kind of warfare. Okay. Because sometimes... At least then you had to meet nasty with nastier. Yeah. You know, and that just wasn't a place I wanted to be. Okay. Are you still taking roles and things like that, writing scripts while you're doing all this stuff for Breitbart or what? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Now you were in Colorado at that time. Mm -hmm. You're still there. I'm still there. What sort of precipitated the faith change? Well, you know, my, I had some business ventures that went south because my partners were being less than upfront with money and it was disappointing and and anyways, and I had to sue and, and so it was sort of like had this moment of like, well, what's it all about? Is it really just about making money? Which you so quickly lost or was stolen. I lost and it was, you know, misappropriated. We say, we we say in in the legal, on the legal documents, it says, it said misappropriated. Misappropriated. Not by me because they had to settle and. So I live in, in a, a town in, in Colorado where one of the larger churches are and the church there is called Flatirons and they have these orange stickers and all these cars in my neighborhood had orange stickers with a, a mountain on it. And so I Googled, I literally Googled what the hell orange sticker Colorado and it came up. And so I was just sort of like, this was a trending search. Yeah. I was just sort of spiritually empty for many years i was a practicing buddhist that was very helpful with my mind but as i said it leaves you feeling like a fifth century roman eunuch um okay. a sort of like uh, i'm a doormat right in my next life i get to come back as i don't know taller and whiter i, I mean i don't know a really bad politician yeah I'm a bad politician yeah you've earned it yeah so my so i said to my wife let's go see what the crazy christians are do and i are doing in our neighborhood and i went and i just heard uh the message the way i've never heard it before i heard it in a in a way that I could understand it, a way that was able to cut right through my bias, cut right through my, cut through my contempt prior to investigation. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. I know exactly what you mean. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, Christians are easy targets. Yeah. Because they go sticks and stones. Most of them. Right. You know, okay. Not so different from your eunuch. Yeah, sticks and stones. Okay, whatever. So I had this sort of preconceived idea of what being a Christian was until I saw Tim Tebow present himself in the public arena as a Christian. That's what really changed it for me. That's what really went, made me go, oh, wow. That's what it really looks like. So we're talking mid 2000s. To like, yeah, he was the quarterback in yeah. Denver near where I live. Oh, that's right. One of the greatest years in the Denver Broncos. Won a playoff game. Thank you, Tim, if you're listening. And so it was so powerful and so intriguing. And then having been somebody on the inside of Hollywood and media and knowing those people, how vicious they can be, and they're even more vicious now, attack him for saying, uh, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was like, wow, that's really powerful when, you know, these people can turn around and say all kinds of nasty things and in what I consider to be immoral things. And so that really piqued my interest. And to see him just, I'm like, I saw somebody that was convicted in what they believe, and it was really attractive. And that's what set me down the path of what is this really all about? You know, it's, it's not just Christmas and Easter. Right. There's so much more to, it's where I really learned that the Bible isn't for reading, it's for studying. Yeah. You know? Like, okay. So that. You, you don't just take it to the beach and go, I'm going to read the Bible on the beach. Right. So it seems to me that you, I imagine just after that, maybe some of the, some of the moral questions you had about acting in general probably had like came into focus a little bit clearer. Yeah. But you are back in it. Can you tell me a little bit about like, what was it for you that you, those moral failures came into focus, but then you've also decided to come back? Yeah. My experience as a secular person uh, living and working in Hollywood as an actor primarily is that you've got to wake up every day wanting to be rich and famous to, to fight in that game. To get it. To get To it, get through it. Okay. You know, because it's a contest. It's a constant contest. You know, even people who are, st- even big movie stars, when they think who, who, they have three movie stars that they're thinking about 
and they're gonna one of them's gonna get it, right? You know, unless they go into producing their their, their own stuff. And so I, you know, after after you, you know getting baptized and going, okay, this is who I am. I feel comfortable in this. And you know, uh, what do you want me to do, God? I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll wash dishes for Jesus at TGI Friday if that's where you want to put me. You, you know, whatever. And at this time too, I've also got a, a one month old daughter. Okay. And uh, so slowly. I start getting these these not I start getting these ideas, and I start getting these sort of on the peripheral opportunities to have these discussions about movies and faith. Okay. And uh, my first response is like, "Oh, well, that's interesting, God, but I don't want to do that. I've already done that. Yeah. I don't want to go back into the movie business." Right. But for me, it's God's sense of humor of like it just kept coming and coming, and so and so I I looked into what is it to be a person of faith. And proclaim that faith on film. And so I started watching some of these movies. And, you know, first I just want to say that if you're a person of faith and you want to be creative, don't let anybody stop you. Just go and do it. Yeah. You know, I, I encourage that to be creative in whatever way you feel you're being moved to. Because once I acquiesced to that, things really started to open up for me. But my perspective on movies that are grounded in faith comes from a person myself who had spent more of his life as a secular person than a person of faith. So I had a, a different overview of what it meant to have faith and come to faith. And, and I could only present faith in the written word or on, on film the way that I'm comfortable receiving it. Okay. Which is, you know, not the guy in the corner with the Jesus save sign, because I don't think that's effective, but good for him. And I, so I started watching these movies, and this is after I had been baptized, my wife and I. And I thought- You've got your orange sticker. I had my orange sticker. Yeah, I've graduated from that church to a okay. reformed uh, church, but uh, I'm grateful for them. So I thought, listen, the good thing and the bad thing is about movie making is all you need is to get your hands on some money. <laughs> it's expensive. It's an expensive sport. It's expensive, which people with money just go and they make movies, not realizing- a movie needs to go through a development process. And I found a lot of these movies were immediately like obvious. Like I'm going to make a movie about Paul in the desert or I'm going to make, you know, which is, again, I'm not discouraging yeah. it, but it wasn't for me. Okay. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to find a, a, a different way of presenting faith in film. You know, for example, I mentioned to you this last night, the movie with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix called Signs. Yes. Which is about aliens. But it's, it's really all about a man who has lost his faith, you know, and it's subtle. It's through visuals. It's not through these, you know, shouting at the sky, yeah. sort of like, save me, God. And, right. and you know, and, I, and I've had a moment like that in my life, you know, like, what is this all about? But um, because I don't think that those kind of, you know, those movies are all considered success based on just like anything else in Hollywood, the money that it makes. You know, the biggest- And they make a lot of money. Some of them make an incredible amount of money yeah. and they're made for very little money um, with a low production value and good for them. I don't know what they're, they're doing with those, some of those filmmakers are doing because from what I see, they're not reaching out to the independent Christian world and sharing that, sharing that, right. that wealth to help create other productions, you know? I'm, so I don't know. It's usually going back and, up and into I, Sony. And I could be totally wrong. For all I know, they have incubators of young Christian people that they're teaching the movie business with. So if that's so, good for Your them. Your instincts probably. Yeah. Probably so. Right. Okay. So you're back in it. 
I'm curious with with the questions of acting in general, which I think is really interesting in terms of I don't think any of us stop to think. I think we just think of it as an art form in general. And would anybody think like, oh, painting, you can go too far. But acting's a little different. Would you want, so you, you mentioned to me you have a kid. Is that is that an area of art that you would encourage no holds bar? Or how, have you, how would you think about it? Obviously, you're thinking about it in a different way now um, in terms of you're back in the business. So it can right. be done well. But right. how do you think about acting on this side of things? Well, the art of. And, and I've taught acting. I, I, I've taught acting to kids, which is lots of fun because they're so free and open. I've taught acting to um, trial lawyers who were super smart <laughs> on the law, but they couldn't look you in the eye and they couldn't speak to people. They didn't know where to hold their hands. And they're, they have to tell a story. Yep. You know, it's all about story and about narrative. And, you know, kids are, are really surprised when I say, do you know what the most important thing about acting is? And I tell them the most important thing to be a good actor is to be a good listener. Because if you're not really listening to what that character across from you is saying, you can't respond in an honest way. If you're sitting there in life, even just waiting for them to shut up right. so you can say what you want to say, how you want to say it. That's not, that's not the course of it. So whenever I meet somebody that says, I want to be an actor or I want to get into acting and they're thinking about going to college for acting. My recommendation based solely on experience is that when you go in to try and get an acting job, they don't care where you went to school. What can you do? Now, looking back in hindsight, I recommend people who want to be actors. If they're going to go to college, great. Get involved in the theater. Study theater. Don't get a degree in drama. Get a degree in business. Interesting. Because that's what you are. You are a person and a product that people will hire to take those words and create something. And how are you going to continue that creativity as a business? And I also remind them that if just rich and famous is what you're looking for, I don't recommend you getting involved in this. But if it's really something at your core that's you, study business or study marketing and um, don't get a degree in drama because it's really not going to help. Okay. Read scripts, watch movies, go to acting classes, and pound the pavement. Be a better human. Be a better human, you know? Because you're about to go through the, the tough mutter of, of obstacle courses and careers trying to get work as an actor. Right, right. Okay. In terms of, by the way, I was thinking as you were answering that, this is a real thespian podcast now. I just had Ben Crystal on, who's a Shakespearean actor. Right. I mean, this is, we're turning the tides on Cannon Calls. Right. What, uh, okay, so interesting. In terms of like, if somebody out there was like, no, I'm in all the theater things, local theater stuff, what do I do in college? They go to you, you're going to say, study business or marketing, get a business degree, get a marketing degree, because there's going to be, even if you start working as an actor, there's going to be these huge time in between jobs. Okay. You know, where you just sit around. I mean, I, I continued to work. I would get a job and then I would go work as a doorman in fancy bars and restaurants around LA. And some people go, I think we just saw you in a movie that's playing at the yeah. theater. I go, yeah, that was me. Can I see your ID? You know, uh, because then I'm not reliant on, oh, sure. the money's running out, you know? And so, yeah, so business or, mar or marketing, you know, and, and go out there and look for work. I'd be curious to know with the few, the portion of the world that's like, I want to be an actor. Mm -hmm. Talked about a little bit about this last night. Like how many would you say, how many you know, if you taught acting, how many are you telling 
you should find something else. I think that's a, that's a really important thing. And I think, you know, I think you're doing a young person a disservice if you're not honest with them. If, the, if they've been in your class or you've seen them in class and they're, I think there is an innate ability to do, to be an actor, to be real under imaginary circumstances, to be, to be, to lose your self-conscious of yourself in front of camera with a bunch of people standing around or in front of an audience. I think it's important to know. So, so it's funny, an acting teacher of mine, uh, William Alderson, he told a funny story about Al Pacino. And he said uh, that Al Pacino said that I'm not interested in doing what I can't do. And what he was talking about is how he picks his roles. Got it. And so I think you're doing a young person or anybody a service if you can say, listen, you feel like you're a creative person, but this not, might not be the best expression of your creativity. Is there someplace else that you might find an interest? Because ultimately what actors want is they want to be I'm not speaking about the work, I'm speaking about the outcome and the, and the access in the world outside of being an actor. You know, you're walking around, you're this actor in Hollywood. They want to be loved and adored from a position where they don't have to give anything back to you because they feel like, well, you saw my movie, that's my gift to you, love me. And then they, oftentimes, as we see in the public discourse today, they're really nasty people. You know, I mean, you can look at, you know, my friend Christian has a website, Hollywood and Toto, that covers all these like just nasty people sometimes. And then on that note, I don't believe in boycotts because when you boycott something because of their political views or their views on Christianity or morals, you're hurting a whole bunch of other people that are working there. Okay. But if a movie comes out, it's done. Pretty much everybody's gotten paid. The movie's been... And if you're thinking about going to a movie and you have a certain political leaning or you're a person of faith. I would encourage you to find out what that star, who that star is in that movie and find out on the internet what they think of you. What do they think of your morals, your politics, your faith, uh, your family, your choices? Find out what they really think about you and then ask yourself, do I want to give that person my money? Do I want to make them richer and more famous? Is it really worth supporting someone that doesn't like me for whatever reason? And that's the sad thing that's happened in the acting world is that you go to a movie and as you're watching the movie, for me, I got to speak for myself. Sometimes I can't get past who this person has constantly be putting in my face in the media to get to the character that he's trying to get me to believe. And maybe that's a character flaw in me. You know, I don't know. But I mean, there's some, there's some that are so out there, you know, I mean, but then you pick people like Philip or Daniel Day-Lewis. You don't know much about them. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. This is kind of now where it's like you, there is no space to be largely indifferent or everything is, you got to pick a side. Right. Right. And I'm just saying to put your money where you're, where you're. Subsidize the things you want more of is what you're saying. Exactly. And I think there's a good movement of that uh, going on right now. I mean, I just wrote and directed a feature film called um, The Healing Garden. And, you know, you can rent that now. I, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, Mar on March 15th, it'll be on DVDs throughout, you know, Walmart, Target, Costco, and, and then and Apple TV and all those other places. But Jeff and his friends over at Amazon released it early. Right, sure. Credit to Jeff. Yeah. I don't think he's there anymore. Actually. There's a guy who needs to be shot into space. So what's interesting about this little movie is this came to me as a complete gift from God. And the interesting thing was I initially didn't want to write this movie. Okay. Because it was so 
because I'm still kind of jaded. Just it's part of my personality. I, I mean, I work on it. I mean, I'm not mean, but it's just a, an edge sort of, I think will always be part of my shoulders cut off. It's just yep. kind of edgy. And it's a sweet little movie with this, you know, retired chaplain who's lost his wife and he befriends this, this little kid in the neighborhood and the neighborhood is disenfranchised and they grow this garden together in this desolate, destroyed field full of garbage. And they pray for their neighborhood, for those people to be healed. And they all sort of come together and there's a little miracle in it. And it's just, it's a movie that you can turn on and not have to worry about what's said or what's done. I'm incredibly proud of it now, but I was so cynical of, I'm like, oh, I'm making one of those movies that I feel like I complained about before. Right. But I feel that because I first and foremost have a background as an actor, I understood the importance of the acting for the acting to be good. Okay. And you could not like the story or other things in it, but you can't complain about the acting in this movie. The actors are so good. Nice. I mean, I found this little girl, she, you know, Carrie, who's just a funny story. So I had already cast the role of this little girl in the movie, but I knew better enough to like have a backup. Okay. Cause they say never work with kids, animals and water in the movie business. Okay. And so I continued to look. So, so that I would say, listen, I'm not sure that you're going to get it, but I want you on backup because we're not sure what's going to happen between now and the three weeks before we shoot. And this little girl came in and you want to talk about just a complete natural. I was literally speechless. I just said, thank you. She was so good. So real. So such a great listener and took direction and I had her there with the other star. And, and when she walked out, I turned to my producer and I said, that other kid just lost this job. And she's like, absolutely. And, uh, this kid was so good that on the set, I had to tell her the, the other actor, uh, Danny Mann, who's fantastic in this movie. I had to tell her to not be mouthing his lines while he was saying, because she had memorized all of hers and all of his, because the other thing I made sure that I did, because it was such a small budget and that I knew that I was going to get maybe three to four takes per scene at best. I searched for actors that had theatrical experience because I knew that they would study their lines right, and know them when they got there. Yeah. When they got there and that they had circling back to where we started, they would have a different respect for the craft. They would have a different outlook on it. And it really worked out for the better that way. I'm curious. So for a lot of folks that are listening, is there any, um, and I guess I'm just mainly asking for myself, maybe this would be helpful, but what do you think are like, are you, you're a reader, I assume. Oh yeah. Is there anything if I was like, man, what are your top three books in the field? Whether it's like, because you, you mentioned you're writing screenplays. Mm -hmm. What's been like really helpful in making you, what went into you? What are, what are a few books that you would say like, man, I put this into me and out came. Well, it makes me Im immediately think of a really important moment in my life. Okay. And it was when I was, I was maybe 21, 22. I was living in New York and I was in acting class with William Alderson. William Alderson was a, a for also, a, he's a very famous acting teacher now in LA. He was in New York at the time, who was also a former Marine. So there's no messing around in class. This is the guy I told you who said he would tell people, say, listen, I think you ought to maybe try something else. Yeah. This might not be for you. Right. You know, I know that might hurt your feelings, but I'm doing you a favor. Is that he pulled me aside. I'll never forget this moment. He pulled me aside out of class one day and he said, listen, you walk like a gorilla and you talk like you've got marbles in your mouth. And every other word out of your mouth is a curse word. And I thought, yeah. He said, you need to listen to great music. 
you need to learn about fine art and you need to take ballet lessons. And I was so, it was such a fatherly moment. It was such a teachable moment that what he was doing was he was telling me that your character as a human being is so two-dimensional and so boring that if you ever have any success in this business as an actor, you don't have a depth of character to bring to any other character unless that character is cussing and walking around like a gorilla. Right. And that set me off on a course of being curious about everything. I like to think I know a little bit about everything. I studied music. I went on to play Tchaikovsky off-Broadway for five months in a play based on his life. Okay. And I learned all about art. I learned about fashion, which is important in, in New York at the time. If you don't know anything about fashion, you're single forever. Okay. And I took ballet classes for like four months. I was only going to do it for a week, but until I realized that I was the only straight male there. Yeah. And it was a room full of girls. <laughs> I was 23. Right. I'm like, I'm staying here yeah, for a yeah, while. Yeah. Right. And what that did was that gave me a centeredness of my person, you know, of how I walk, how I hold myself. It was the most, one of the most profound things anyone's ever told me. So I would say, be curious about the world. Okay. Be curious about the things you love. Read books that interest you. Okay. Don't read them because you feel like you're supposed to or they're on the bestseller list. Right. And cultivate your own character. And part of cultivating your own character is, is how do you treat other people? You know, so I think that that's, that's what I would say. Perfect. Be a better human. Be a better person. Duck, duck, go that and order the shirt. Order the t-shirt. <laughs> be, a, be a better person. Joseph, thank you so much no, for coming No, thank you. It's my pleasure. I love it. Yeah, Appreciate you. you.